Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty One Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oja Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. The CFL playoffs are well underway and two teams are gone. Four teams remain in pursuit of the Grey Cup. Uh, fantastic weekend of football, I thought. Uh, we're going to break down the two games that happened in the division semifinals. Take a look ahead to the games uh, coming up for the division finals uh, this coming weekend. Uh, but first, we welcome in Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you doing this week? Not bad, not bad. I've been been bit of a quieter week if uh, people can actually believe that, but uh, no, it's been good. That's that's so hard to believe. It you is. Ha- you having time off? What is this, man? Yeah, I, honestly, I have no idea what to do with myself at times. <laughs> and I feel like I need to be somewhere, but. Oh, I actually have nowhere to be. This is actually kind of nice, but... Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I spent the... There's very few weekends where I actually have enough time to catch every single CFL game. And, you know, traditionally, I've always been busy on Sundays in the past, which kind of bugged me that the playoff games were always, you know, doubleheader on Sunday, nothing on Saturday. This weekend, all all my plans ended up getting canceled, had nothing to do but sit on the couch and watch six straight hours of CFL football and it was glorious and I loved it. And we were treated to two, two pretty good games. I would say the, uh, the Saskatchewan Calgary game, uh, certainly I would put up there as a candidate for game of the year. We're going to get into that one second, but we're going to start off with the Montreal Hamilton game. Ty cats taking on the Alouettes. They take them down 23 to 12 um big storyline I think we can talk about with this game is it seems like Montreal threw this one away I mean you look at the first quarter time of possession was like 12 minutes to three or something like that Montreal was rolling Hamilton was taking stupid penalties and then the script like flipped all of a sudden uh there was the one big fumble recovery from Julian Hauser uh, of the tie cats that really flipped things around all of a sudden Montreal got off their game Trevor Harris kept coughing up the ball they kept taking stupid penalties I mean the Alouettes led in pretty much every offensive stat in this game except the turnover margin was five to zero and and that's the true story of this game is it not yeah to me to me, this score flatters Hamilton. I mean, I only saw half the game, but I, I got enough of a picture of what happened. Um, to me, this this will be a story of the three or three and a half minutes, end of the second quarter, maybe middle of the second quarter to halftime where this one got away. Um, I'm shocked. I, I am. I mean, I looked at the game as it was happening. I'm like, great, you know, Montreal's in somewhat control. And then that's the time I looked at my phone, it's 20 unanswered points. And I'm like, what? Uh, and then I watched the tape, and it's just, it's, 
the situation of you dip you, you dip Hamilton a little bit of a door to walk through and they ran through it and ran away with the football game and I'm just surprised how how awful Montreal's offense looked. I mean, you should be able to win a lot of football games, give yourself a chance, you know, in the 20 to 23 point window and, you know, mental lapses are the difference. And maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to be said about playoff experience uh, for Hamilton, but... I, I can't help but look at this as the one that got away if you're Montreal. Well, go back to what we said in our preview of this game last week on the podcast when we were talking about which team had the edge on defense. I, I think I had said, you know, Montreal is the more consistent defensive team, which I think is fair in this game as well. They held Mazzoli to 184 yards and one touchdown, Don Jackson to under 50 yards on the ground. But which team is going to make the big key plays that are going to that are going to turn the tide of the game? And I said it was going to be the Tie Cats. You know that's where I gave them the edge, and they did that. They had the the you know I mentioned a couple big forced fumbles. Then they had a couple uh, an interception later in the game as well that was key, and a few more turnovers on downs I think even there as well. And they put up five six sacks. This is an Alouettes team that. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers on it, but I know I've been tracking, uh, you know, fantasy points given up by by defense or fantasy points that defenses have put up and also the average points fantasy-wise scored against the defense. Montreal's been one of the best teams in terms of not giving up big point totals to defenses all year long, as in they haven't turned the ball over a ton and they haven't given up a ton of sacks and they haven't given up, you know... They, they've scored a good number of points and that all seemed to fall apart in this game. And I have to give full credit for this win to that tie cats defense because they came to play big time. They did. And you know, good defenses rise to the occasion when called upon. And, you know, this was the Hamilton offensive, my mind, but did just enough. Um, I don't think they were good enough in large stretches of the game, but that wasn't really needed at at this juncture. I mean, they had a running game that was that was working. They were able to man the clock a little bit, and I mean, I'm just surprised that, uh, for lack of a better term, Montreal folded like a lawn chair. But then again, I shouldn't really be surprised because. You know, I, I know I was, and I'll be the first to to take it, but I said Montreal would win the would would win the Grey Cup. But I can't help but chalk this up as extremely disappointing. No disrespect to Hamilton, who just came in. They saw a team that was vulnerable, particularly in the second quarter there, and. They made them pay, and they put up points in a hurry, and now we're starting to see a little bit of Brandon Banks, who I thought we would see in in, in the regular season. It's, you know, playoff wins. Just ask, just ask the writers. Playoff wins aren't pretty. It's 
what you do to get the momentum when you get the chance and can you put up enough points and then I, I figured, you know, once Ham, once Hamilton gets out to a to a sizable lead, but that Montreal would be in some trouble. Just giving up on the fact that, um, just giving up on the fact that um, Montreal seems to have this struggle coming from behind, and Hamilton defense doesn't really give up much. But again, you know. I think playoff experience won this game, and I think that it counts for something. And now that Mojo that Hamilton has, we'll take them to Toronto. And I can't help but wonder if we see Kahari Jones out of a job here in the next few weeks. Well, there is, there has been a good amount of speculation on that. Uh, I don't know. I'm not in that camp necessarily. Like I, to me, I still see Kahari Jones as a great head coach there. I, I see the Alouettes as a team coming into the year. You know, we saw it. We thought they, they had some good talent to compete in the East Division, and I think they did that. You know, they were very close there. But they faced a good Ticats team. Like, we knew this was going to be close uh from all three teams that made the playoffs in the east division like i I get you know you want success uh, out of your coach certainly so there is some speculation there but uh i certainly would not put kahari jones myself in the same category as some of the other coaches we've seen uh you know let go or on the hot seat potentially in in recent seasons i i think for a team that has had so much turnover for so many years and finally has that consistency. Yes. The playoff wins haven't been there. And of course that's going to have people coming, you know, calling for, for the coach's head, so to say, but I think the pieces are mostly there for Montreal. I say, keep it consistent, do a bit of tinkering in the off season. And one of the things they're going to have to do this off season is figure out what they are doing at the quarterback position uh coming into next year uh certainly this playoff game did not give much confidence in the trevor harris direction i feel like he did put up 364 yards passing which uh he seems to always throw for over 350 in a playoff game but uh it was the turnovers that were so costly that turned the tide of this game that may end up being his downfall here for montreal let me try this at you. You're the general manager. What do you do? I stick with Vernon Adams Jr. He, he's, uh, he's you know, younger. He's got a great potential ahead of him still. You know, the injury should be healed up by next season. I would honestly stick with what you came into this year with, which is Vernon Adams Jr. as your starter and Matt Schultz as your backup. We saw Schultz play a couple of games, and I thought he looked good in those games. And honestly, you know, I would, if he was healthy and ready to go, he would have been my recommendation for quarterback to start in the playoffs. Now, of course, they went with Trevor Harris, and I understand why, but I, I think those two guys, Vernon Adams and Matt Schiltz, both showed good things so far with this team. You know, Trevor Harris is getting up there in age. He was brought in as an insurance policy due to the Vernon Adams injury this year, and I think that's all it is. I don't see him being the starter here in Montreal going forward. 
uh, into next year. Uh, I don't know where he goes, but uh, if you want me to throw a name out there, I would say a reunion with Ottawa is a potential place to watch out for. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm curious what happened in Montreal because, you know, their season was 7-7. Seven and seven. You know, they had a chance to for a home playoff game, but in my mind, they underperformed uh, big time. And if I'm with, I'm with you, I, I would go with Vernon Adams. I understand, you know, why they made the move, but I, I would have probably done the same thing. But I just don't see any any reason where you can start the season with Vernon Adams and Trevor Harris on your on your quarterback roster, and now it's time to really, really dig into the roster and make some tangible changes if you are serious about. Um, you know, bringing the good old days back to Montreal, where seemingly, you know, the East for many, many years always went through Montreal. Um, but again, I, I think it's a team that, it's a team that in hindsight has to, has to walk before they can learn to run. Um, you know, I, I just looked at this simple fact. Between the three-minute warning and halftime, Hamilton scored 13 points. That's your football game right there, the touchdown and the two field goals. That's 13 of your, that's 13 of your 23 points right there. You know, it's, it, it's moments like that, that that turn football games and turnovers and all that kind of stuff really, really turned the tide. And, you know, we also saw in my mind a Hamilton team that is in trouble if you can keep them off the board for as long as Montreal did. And, you know, now I'm giving the Argos more of a chance than I maybe would have um, earlier on because, this game to me has gone from a sure Hamilton thing to more of a toss up, and you know I I look at you know Hamilton losing. I think it was three out of four to Toronto this year, and yeah. you know all of a sudden this might not be Hamilton slam dunk. And you know what? It, the simple matter is you can chop this down to one way or another. Good teams. Find ways to win football games that they're not necessarily at their best. And Hamilton came out, they took the punch, they delivered a punch, and they won the game. Good, good on them. But, you know, I think both winners here this weekend have their work cut out for them going into their games against the number one seeds. Because if I'm both winners, I'm not fully happy with the way I played this weekend. And it's going to make for some real interesting uh, conversation. Well, 
You you mentioned good teams find ways to win games even when they shouldn't. Uh, let's move into the West semifinal. Mike, if I were to give you this stat line of Cody Fajardo, 22 of 33 for 189 yards, one touchdown and four interceptions, who would you say won this game? The opposition. Exactly. Uh, but a, what <laughs> started off as a very sloppy, wild, like massive chaos in the first half for error-like reasons turned into a fascinating, chaotic, entertaining second half of explosiveness at times, which led all the way to overtime, where the Saskatchewan Rough Riders go on to beat the Stampeders 33-30. to This game had everything. What was it? Five, six interceptions in the first half, uh, including three picks by uh, Jonathan Moxie of the, uh, the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, which was uh, quite the feat in itself. You had Rene Paradis miss uh, three, attempt eight field goals in this game and miss three of them. You had Jamal Morrow of the Riders return a kick for a touchdown, have it called back by a penalty, then do it again later on on a punt return. Um, I'm probably missing like seven or eight other things. I think somebody hit the post. I think Lauder hit the post on a field goal try. This game had literally everything you can imagine, and some of it good, but a lot of it bad. It's it's a beautiful mess, Ryan. Um, <laughs> that's that's the episode title right there. Uh, it's it's just a beautiful mess. Um, everything you love about Canadian football was in this game. Um. And maybe everything you hate about Canadian football, too. Correct. And, you know, it was a very Canadian game. And minus the turnovers and all that stuff, this game exactly played out the way I thought it would. It played out exactly the way the other matchups between the teams had drawn. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think there was a total point differential in the regular season. Uh, margin of victory totaling nine points or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, again, I do not believe this was, um, you know, I, I believe this was expected uh, to be this close. But can I just speak about Calgary for a minute? The mental errors that they made in this game. Like, take, take Renee Faraday's out of this for a minute. Bully by Mitchell. I have never seen him throw high. You notice how he always seems to overthrow on the high side of the receiver? It's never low. And that seems to leave you this susceptible susceptibility to tips, which we saw in a couple of the interceptions. Um, you know, there were guys in the wrong spot. Both fought Hunchett would be in one spot, but he was in another spot. Um, he had a surefire touchdown, but Hunchett fell down and appeared to hurt himself. Um, yeah, it was just not what you would expect from a finely oiled uh, Calgary machine, but they normally are. And uh, 
I think this epitomizes Calgary's season to a T. Exactly this game has been everything that I have seen from the Snaps in this game was their season. An offense that looks like it can put up points in the second half and, and an offense that can frustrate you in the first half. And... You know, let's just talk about the three interceptions. It's just remarkable to me that at halftime you have a guy with three interceptions. And, you know, it's one of those things where if we're going to look back on this season, I would chalk it up to be an extreme disappointment with the Calgary Stampede. I mean, look at all the guys they brought in. Now, uh, Roberson, uh, Badleton, who had arguably the biggest mistake of the game, fumbling the punt, and then, you know, it's just mistake after mistake after mistake, and then Parody is one of the more um, accurate kickers in CFL history, maybe would be the most accurate, I, I would think he's right up there with uh, Justin Medloff. I mean, you look back, his last two playoff games haven't been ideal. Um, you know, one playoff game doesn't define a guy's season, but that's extremely disappointing. I think he missed uh, of the seven field goals he took, I think he missed three of them. Uh, yeah, including including one in overtime. It's just like, is is this Calgary? Like what? But they need to take a long, hard look at how they let this one slip away. And that's not to say, you know, the Riders wouldn't have won this game, but just the amount of the amount of mistakes, I just, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it. And it's not like, it's not like we're talking about, you know, oh, a guy throwing to, to, to the wrong spot. It's, this is a collective, like, effort where everybody shares some of the blame. And where Bo was throwing on the top of those interceptions, like, I think they made the comment on the broadcast that Bo, Bo's just not seeing it. And, you know, I I credit Bo for trying to get up off the mat in the second half and putting a fairly decent second half together. But, you know, those instances where they had a chance to take control of the game and they, they shoot themselves in the foot and the Riders had a chance and stuck with it. And, you know, Pichardo didn't have his greatest team. I'll get, I'll get to Cody in a minute today. I really have some some thoughts on Cody Pichardo and how I think the Bombers can really, really pick them apart. Um, just from stuff that I've seen. But I am just shocked at, at the mental mistakes that Calgary made. And... You know, full credit to the writers, they hung in there. There was a chance for Bo to absolutely take control of that game early in the game. It was 7 nothing. I think they had to 
the first turnover, and then they couldn't manufacture a drive but go up by more than seven. Uh, really took the crowd out of it, and just in general, it was just it was a beautiful mess, really. Yeah. On both. It was a beautiful mess indeed. Uh, and the, the interesting thing for me here is the different kind of play calling we saw from the two sides in overtime because. Uh, you know, Saskatchewan's first drive, 17-yard pass to Powell, seven-yard run for Jardo, tried to hit Schaefer Baker at the 19-yard line, that missed, and then they kicked the field goal. Uh, and then their game-winning drive at the end, you know, two William Powell runs and then a, a field goal. But Calgary's two drives in overtime, the first or the first or second play in both of those. They tried to go deep to Bagleton at pretty much the end, pretty much in the end zone. You know, Calgary was like, all right, let's take a shot. Let's try to end this right here, right now. Obviously, it comes up incomplete, and then you're scrambling a little bit uh, there because it's second down for you uh, or third down in the last case there. So I, I found that kind of interesting, the different strategies. And both those passes were to Bagleton. It was kind of, you know what, let's rely on this guy to, who's been so key for us back in 2019. Uh, let's rely on him to go up and get us the win. And he came so close on both of those catches, I think it was, that, you know, they were just slightly off on both of them. And we'd be talking about a whole different storyline here. But uh, what a chaotic overtime. I mean, that first Calgary drive, they're, they're driving a little bit. Um, you had uh, Kadeem Carey get stopped on a one-yard run, needed one yard, and he got negative one. This is a guy who had over a hundred yards rushing all game. Couldn't get the one yard to keep the drive alive. So they have to kick the field goal there. Then the second Calgary drive, you have the, uh, the crazy fumble where Herjimayala by inches knocks the ball out of bounds. It could have been game over right there. They get the ball back. Then they kick the field goal and just barely miss it left. Uh, and Saskatchewan goes on to win the game. This was a wild game in all senses of it, and I could not help but feel the heartbreak of Rene Paradis after the after he missed his field goal there in overtime, and you could see him just bawling on the sidelines because this is a guy, like you said, who has given so much to this franchise and has been so accurate for so many years, and to have this game like that, and it's not all on him. Like like you talked about, there's errors across the board here. There's so many plays you can point to for Calgary. And such a close game of, you know, one less interception here. Kadeem Carey gets one more yard on that run. Bagleton, you know, a couple inches further into the end zone, and he makes that catch, for example. This was a close football game by every stretch of the margin, and the Riders came out on top here. And before we pivot to talking about the Riders, you know, this is an interesting offseason, I think, for Calgary this year, because... We're used to looking at off seasons where they've been on, on top of the regular season standings. And it's uh, a matter of, okay, we know this Calgary team's going to look different next year because they are uh, because they have so many talented players that are going to be poached by other teams, go off to the NFL, et cetera. They still do have a lot of those talented players, but I think this year more than ever, we, we may see more tinkering from Calgary of looking to make some upgrades. And, you know, they, they have a lot of free agents this year. Most of the year, the team is free agents. And I'm interested to see what kind of makeup we're going to see from the team that started slow this year, picked it up down the stretch, and then just fell just short in the playoffs. And 
I think one of the most interesting things to watch is going to be the quarterback position because Bo Levi Mitchell did not have a good year this year. Uh, I think he'll admit that. I think everybody will admit that. Jake Mayer showed some promise in the games he played. If you listened to their exit uh, comments after this game, you know, Bo said he he wants to play in Calgary still, but he he, he's, he needs to, you know, see how things play out. Uh, I'm, paraphr- I'm paraphrasing. And, and if I misunderstood the quote, you know, uh, I apologize there and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but then Jake Mayer, you know, right up came out and said, yeah, I want to stay in Calgary, like straight up. So if you're John Huffnagel, how are you approaching this offseason for the Stampeders uh, quickly? We'll get into it more in the actual offseason. Uh, but what's your quick two minute approach this uh, this winter for Calgary? I do not know what I would do. Um, I I think the year off really compounds the issue, but, I mean, we kind of saw the drop-off in that West semifinal from 19, tennis start this whole thing. Like, Bo hasn't been the same quarterback, you know, since since the 19 regular season. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be careful how I word this. I would say the blame for both struggles are not as reflective on Bo as someone made them out to be. However, Bo has had some shoulder issues. Now, I don't know about you, but I know people that have had shoulder surgeries of of types. It takes a while for them to get back to normal. I have to wonder just how healthy Oli by Mitchell was this whole year. He had the shoulder injury earlier this season, but he really, I thought, rushed bad from. Um, It's very, very interesting how this all will play out. And you have to remember, he has a group of receivers that by and large, for the most part, is different than 2019. It's different every week. I mean, they they wrote they did not have a consistent set of receivers in most weeks of the season. Yeah, and, and how does that help when you are trying to form chemistry? Because it's not like he had the option of Reggie Badleton, you know, those types of guys, even Kamar Jordan. Uh, Josh Huff when he was there, and I I still think that that was a huge mistake, uh, letting Josh Huff go. But we'll never know uh, the circumstances behind that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm willing to give Bowley by Mitchell the benefit of a doubt, and I think it spoke large to Calgary's quarterbacking plans that they didn't make the quarterback change at halftime, which, to be honest with you, if I'm Dave Dickinson, I would have at least 
I'm not saying I would have put Jake Mayer in for the whole half, but it's almost an instance of, okay, you know what? We're in this game. It's not pretty. Why don't we throw Jake Mayer in here for a drive or two if both can't get it going? However, like I said before, I'm not as quick to point the finger at Bo. Do I think the blame is 50-50? Absolutely. I think it is 50-50. I think there's... This will get addressed in Calgary. This year does not sit well with people in Calgary for obvious reasons. Uh, welcome to the rest of us, for once. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm quite honestly not willing to overreact to one bad season. Was I surprised that Bo had more interceptions than touchdowns this year? Absolutely, but I do not believe that he is the sole uh, blame for that. No, and, and let, let me clarify, like, in asking this question before, here's my stance on it. I think Bo Levi Mitchell is still a great quarterback. I don't think he's the Bo Levi Mitchell level quarterback we're used to at this point in his career after his injury history. I think everybody can see and admit, you know, still a great quarterback. He's what, one of the most, if not the winningest quarterback of all time in the CFL percentage wise, Um, still a great quarterback, but not performing at the level we're used to seeing. I don't think it's something where Calgary, you know, after the season should just drop them. But my concern here is you have seemingly something good in Jake Mayer. You seemingly had something good in Nick Arbuckle, who you ended up, you know, losing uh, because Bo was your starter and he wanted a starting job. Is can they balance this in a way that, you know, you still keep Bowie by Mitchell, but still have that, that backup, that potential future starter waiting there in the wing that Jake Mayer type guy that can, you know, take over that starting role sometime in the next couple of years. Now, granted, we've got a great system there in Calgary uh, and Dave Dickinson, you have a great coach that's able to pump out these quarterbacks seemingly at will. But that is my concern there with Calgary is uh, if they have a way they can keep both of these guys on the roster. Fantastic. But I'm a big fan of Jake Mayer based on what I've seen from him this year. And uh, if he's not back, you know, with a shot at a starting job in Calgary, I think there's a good chance he, you know, he potentially uh, looks for a starting job elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think you have to tread with that very, very carefully. Um, because I do think if you do move on, let's say from Bully by Mitchell, then that's one to three years. You need that succession plan because teams that have not had that succession plan, and I think you know who I'm talking about, have not done very well. And, you know, we're getting into that eight, we're getting into that category where, to me anyway, there's a changing of Bernard at quarterback in the CFL. Um, you know, the days of Trevor Harris and all those types of quarterbacks being in their prime are nearing an end. And we're, I think we're starting to see that, that ushering of a new generational quarterback, you know, franchise quarterback kind of 
situation. And, you know, I mean, just look at, if I could pull this to Winnipeg for one second, who would have imagined in 19 that the Bombers are making a trade for, yes, granted his first full year because there was no season in 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 uh, 20, would be trading for an MOP candidate who's likely going to win the award. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's something to be said about a quarterback and having continuity and a good supporting cast around him with some consistency, I guess. And I'm wondering if we're starting to see the changing of a guard as far as some franchise quarterbacks go. And it's, it's going to be real interesting, especially... Um, I, I cannot rationalize days in the CFL anymore, right, given the salary cap. Where, you know, the days of the $200,000, quarterback, I can't imagine those days continuing very long. And it's, it's time to start maybe taking that four hundred grand that you have allocated at quarterbacks and splitting it. But this lead is starting to become more and more a two quarterback lead mm-hmm. on each team. And I I went the days of that franchise quarterback making, you know, three hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollars, even two hundred and fifty thousand. I think those days are done. Um to be real interested in what happens at the quarterback position around the league. Let's touch on the Riders side of this game just a little bit. We'll get into, you know, Saskatchewan a little more as well, of course, when we preview their matchup with Winnipeg for the West final, but I got to give the Riders some credit in this game and put some respect on Cody Fajardo's name. The four, he said it himself, I think in the post game comments, you know, if you would have told me I was going to throw four interceptions today and we still win, I would have called you crazy. I'm paraphrasing again. But the way he bounced back in that second half, uh, three interceptions in the first half, he did not look good for as much as everybody was, you know, saying, oh, Bo is struggling. Do you put Jake Mayer in? Well, Saskatchewan's not going to do that. They're not going to pull Fajardo and put uh, an unknown in Mason Fine into the game, right? It was Fajardo going back out there in the second half to turn things around. And I thought he had some gutsy plays there. You know, 89 yards rushing and a touchdown for Fajardo in this game. Uh, and he led a late game drive. I think it was uh, with about two minutes left, you know, pull ahead in this one Calgary ended up tying it up on a field goal uh, there to send it to overtime. But uh, you know, this is what two playoff games now as a starter for uh, Cody Fajardo last year against Winnipeg, where he almost led that late game drive. Uh, and then of course the fateful, uh, the crossbar, uh, on his pass that ended that there. Uh, I thought he bounced back really well in the second half and, you know, led this team well there. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, from what I saw from Fajardo in a bounce back because this could have gone off the rails with that those three interceptions in the first half. That's one thing I liked here uh, for the Riders. The other thing, and this is something we've harped on all season long, is you got to start using William Powell. And I thought they did a great job of that, especially early on in this game. You know, Powell had 18 carries. He also had seven catches on nine targets, combined 120-something yards. 
Like when have we ever, when have, how many times have we seen Powell carry the ball more than 15 times this season? I would guess maybe three, maybe four. I, I thought there was a good game plan in place for a lot of this game. And, you know, whereas it's kind of interesting, kind of like I talked about before, Calgary's game plan seemed to be, let's keep trying to force this ball down the field, force it down the field. Saskatchewan's game plan, it kind of seemed, you know, a lot of talk has been had this year about Fajardo's inability to, you know, hit the ball, the, the deep ball downfield. And the final couple games of the season, we saw him maybe try that out a bit more with Duke Williams. Well, the longest pass he, he threw to Duke Williams was 14 yards. Uh, William Powell was the lead most targeted receiver with nine. Um they really didn't try the deep ball that often. It was quick, short passes, run the ball with Powell. I thought they executed a great offensive game plan. They did. And for whatever reason, they went away from Powell in the second half, which was kind of perplexing to me. Um, Maybe Calgary took that away, but again, full credit where credit is due. It's easy to get down on yourself doing four interceptions, and if you have a decent number two, you know you're looking over your shoulder. Luckily, Cody Pajardo knows that it's likely barring injury, but he's the guy, and he's just settled right in there. And you know, it, it, it's receivers like Shaper Baker makes a big touchdown mm-hmm. grab. Um to put the riders up. Uh, it's Dupree made a nice play. Uh, we hadn't really talked much about it. He made a big play. Uh, the stiff arm jumps over the die, makes a huge play. I think it was um, going to the fourth quarter, I want uh, to say, to set up a, a scoring opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's, this is not going to be easy for Winnipeg. I will say that right now. But then again, if Cody throws four interceptions, I also think Winnipeg turns that into quite a lot of points. Um, and that's just my take. I don't know how you see it. I would agree with you. Yeah, totally on that one. I, I think Winnipeg's a team that you can't force as many turnovers against. Yeah, and and I think if you're Saskatchewan, you have that first half as bad as you played, and and you say, you know what, they played just as bad too. Um, but when it really, really, really accounted for something, the Ryder defense stepped up in a huge way. Um, and again, they, they avoided the mistakes in the second half, which allowed them to win. And, you know, this is one of those games, Ryan, where one play decides it. A missed goal decided it. You know, that that's, that's life in overtime. You know, and that's why I harp on those mistakes that Calgary made earlier in the game, the overthrow. He had a hunch it wide open to the end zone. Uh, the Reggie Badleton off the helmet. You know, there's, there's five or six plays both ways but to find your but to find your football game. And, you know, the riders, you can think of five or six plays, but yes, because they made those plays, they won the game. For Calgary, because they made those play, plays, they lost the game. It's, 
It's a playoff game, but when I was getting score updates, I said, okay, this is a coin flip. Was I surprised that Calgary was going to win the game? I wouldn't have been surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised that the Riders would have won. It's it's just football, and the way it is, and the Ryder defense for forcing the amount of turnovers. Like, Boldy by Mitchell is not an easy quarterback to defend. And, and my word of advice to Saskatchewan is do not go away from William Powell in the second half. You, you, you're one-dimensional if, if you do that. And you know what? Brett Lauder's a good field goal kicker, too. So it's going to be an interesting game uh, this week. And it, it's much like Hamilton. This is going to be a excruciating period. For Calgary, how did this get away? Because we, I cannot recall Bowley by Mitchell throwing so many interceptions that were not necessarily tipped, but he's just not reading the play, and I would like to figure out why that is. Because you see that like one-on-one, okay, but he overthrows him a little bit, and then there's that guy in behind there that he just doesn't see. Like, Ed Ganey had, two oh picks. my goodness, two interceptions fall right through his fingers. It, it's it, it's just, the stats were made one or two more plays at the most important time in the football game, and they won. But for Calgary, the, 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 this to me is the one that got away too. Yeah, and uh, it certainly helps when you have a big day from your kicker turner, Jamal Moore, a uh, big key to sub that Absolutely, uh, that helps. Saskatchewan getting big uh, big plays, really, from all three sides of the ball to pull out the win in this one. Uh, we'll look ahead to the division finals here next. Uh, but... Quickly, Ryan, can I just talk about that misfield goal return? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I did not agree with that penalty first off. Um, you know that that's a chance for for Saskatchewan to put more points on the board. Uh, very early on in the football game, and I think I think that changes the football game. I'm just not sure what the, what the Saskatchewan defender could have not done. He's going side by side with the kicker, and it's not like he grabs him. The kicker's not in a position where he's kicking the football. To me, that's a very soft call. Um, and unfortunately, it's disappointing because I think we've seen that a few times in the CFL this year where we have these marginal kind of penalties in my mind that take away big returns. And I, I, I think if you want to if you want to electrify the game offensively, they have to find a way to call the egregious stuff on the kit returns and the punt returns and that. But I do think you need to find a way to open up the special team scoring a little bit um, because that's what makes the CFL so great. You know, I watch the CFL to see players like Devontae Debman, you know, run back to kit every now and then. Uh, you know, I miss that. It's, but it seems like every single time now, you know, there's a big play on special teams, and you know, fifty percent of the time, it's 
It's a holding call that has nothing to do with the play. It's that egregious little, you know, bump to the back of Renee Paradis. The CFL needs to find a safe way, in my mind, to open up special teams, games, and, and allow for that, you know, 125-yard electrifying, you know, missed field goal return or, you know, punt return or kickoff return. And to me, I think that's if you want to fix the game. And if I, if I was the commissioner, I would try to find a way to allow special teams to have more of an impact. And these big impact plays constantly being called back for for plays that really have nothing to do in, in most cases with the tip. Now, obviously, there's an, if it's egregious and they pull the guy down and he's trying to tackle him, and that's just that's a holding call, absolutely call it. But I'd like to see them open up the special teams games a little bit more. And, and it just seems like sometimes that electrified, electrified play gets in the way of something that has nothing really to do with the play. And, and it's unfortunate because I think this, this is an offensive-driven lead. Uh, but this year in particular is starving for some offense. And I think if you can find a way to electrify the special teams without every run, every run back seemingly called back for a penalty, I, I think you would do yourself pretty well. Before we move on to talking about the division finals, quick update on the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League playoffs. Uh, I did have a bye in the quarterfinals for finishing top two spots in the regular season, but we had two great matchups. Uh, Six-seeded superfan Mike from the Turf District taking down our defending champion Safmod from the Piffles podcast. Uh, so he'll move on to the semifinals. And uh, Joe Pritchard from the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast beating Mike from Podski Wee Wee by 0.2 points, three, yet, three less yards from Reggie Bagleton in that final game. And this matchup would have gone the other way. It was literally as close as that Saskatchewan-Calgary game. Fantasy football, folks. Uh, a game of inches, so to say. Uh, into the semifinals we go. In semifinal number one, we have a battle of the Turf District. Andrew versus Superfan Mike, both from the Turf District podcast, taking on each other. And in the second semifinal, we have a battle of the Bomber fans. Myself against Joe Pritchard from Rouge, White, and Blue. So uh, should be two great matchups. Two winners here go on to the finals to play for the uh, the Fantasy League Championship belt. Uh, should be a fun time here down the stretch. Mike, let's get into talking about the division finals and let's head out back east to start with Hamilton and Toronto. Toronto was 9-5 and five on the season. Hamilton 8-6. and six. Uh, This game is in Toronto where the Argos did go 6-1 and one at home this year while the, the Ticats were 3-4 and four on the road. As you mentioned earlier, I think uh, in the four matchups between these teams this season, uh, Toronto does take three of them. Uh, first one back in week five, Hamilton wins 32-19. Uh, then in the rematch the next week, Toronto wins 17-16, a one-point win there. October 11th, 24-23, the Argos win another one-point battle there. And then in the big game for first place in the East, 
uh, back on November 12th. Uh, the Argos stomping the Ticats 31-12. So uh, two wins by one point uh, and then two blowouts kind of in either direction here. Uh, quick opening thought before we go positional here. Uh, what do you think of this matchup? Yeah, I think it's a matchup that as much as I was on Montreal's bandwagon, it makes the most sense. Uh, I think the line last I saw was in and around one and a half points, I think, in the favor of Hamilton, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the Lions had this one close. Uh, either way, it was last I checked, it was one and a half. The line might have moved between now and then. But, you know, you know that's just the way I see this matchup. I think it to be close. Um, my initial reaction is don't underestimate Hamilton's playoff ability, but Toronto has been sneaky up, sneaking up on me. I, I keep waiting for them to fall off because, well, you know how I felt about Toronto all year. I just don't believe that they are. Um, I just don't believe that they were they were cut out to be what what they've been and. You know, I'm going to be very careful in surmising this matchup, but you know what? This, to me, can go, could go either way. Uh, Mazzoli, uh, Bethel Thompson, okay. Defenses, okay. Offenses, uh, you know what? This one, to me, you could get a shootout or you could get a defensive struggle or you could get a game decided by special teams. Nothing would surprise me. Um, I, I don't read quite into the three out of four with Toronto, uh, winning those just because of Hamilton's injuries. I, I think this is the true test for Toronto. I don't think they've seen Hamilton at full strength. I think Toronto getting some guys back too. Um, we'll have to see, I guess, when the fastest week starts. Uh, this to me is a lot like uh, Calgary, Saskatchewan for me. Um, it, it's it, it's wide open. It's flip a coin. It's one turnover or one mistake might decide this one one way or another. Let's go position by position here. Offense, defense, special teams. We'll start offensive side of the ball. Um, Hamilton, I, I think we can agree. A lot of great playmakers there. Uh, same thing Toronto. I mean, they've got a bunch there too. I give the offensive edge to Hamilton here. I think, you know, McLeod Bethel Thompson, since he's been anointed the true, you know, franchise starter here after Nick Arbuckle was shipped out, has not really put up a fantastic game since then. He's struggled a little bit. Mazzoli's had his struggles at times too, but I, I think I like Mazzoli a little bit better at quarterback at running back. Um, Don Jackson has cemented himself as the go-to guy there in Hamilton and has done a fantastic job in the couple of games he's played. Toronto does the weird running back by committee. You know, John White is the starter or DJ Foster is the starter. They both play. They don't get a ton of carries. They don't run the ball a whole ton. They use them kind of in the passing game a little bit. And I think, you know, face-to-face receivers-wise, I, I kind of give a bit of an edge to, to Hamilton here, especially if they can end up getting Braylon Addison back in the lineup as well. Uh, but I lean Hamilton on offense. What do you see there? 
Yeah, I, I like Hamilton offensively just from a standpoint, but I think on the most important position on the field, uh, they have a. I would put Mazzoli over Bethel Thompson given the choice. Uh, the running backs to me are a wash based on the way uh, Don Johnson's played of late. Uh, my one pause for concern is the dual bat system that Toronto has access to, but I like Hamilton's receivers a little bit more than I like Toronto. Um, I'm giving this a slight edge, Hamilton. Now, defensive side of the ball, we saw the Ticats really come up big defensively last week with some uh, some big total, some big turnovers and plays there. We've seen the Argos defense make some plays at times this year. You know, have a decent, steady defensive performance. Uh, which side do you give the edge on defense? To me, here, and this is going to sound pretty, pretty elementary. I call it even. I, I just do. Um, Hamilton defense, well known, with you know their their regular guys, but Toronto's got some guys on the defense. Uh, that are very, very sneaky when called upon. Um, they're the only team to legitimately beat, beat Winnipeg this year. Yes, I don't put any stock into those last two, two uh, bomber teams uh, this year. Um, they're a team that when the chips and the games got bigger, found a way to do it as a team. I really, really, really will not split hairs on the defense. I'll just call it even. I, I got to lean slightly Hamilton here again. Uh, points against on the year, you know, Toronto 318, Hamilton 244. Uh, I believe the Ticats had the second lowest behind the Bombers out of everybody in the league. Uh, so not only have they been shutting teams down, they've been uh, they've been forcing those turnovers as we talked about last week and we saw it in this past game. I do think there's some great playmakers on the Argo side of the ball. And, you know, on, to be honest, you have to take the regular season stats for a lot of the Argos games with a grain of salt because they've had so many injuries, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So much rotation there. Uh, I think it's close. Uh, but I will give a slight edge to Hamilton on the defensive side of the ball as well. Then we move into special teams. Here, here's another case, and I kind of talked about this last week, I think Hamilton and Toronto. I, I would give Hamilton maybe the edge in the return game. We saw some great things from Poppy White last game. Um, we've seen good things, you know, from Chandler Worthy and the likes, uh, I guess, uh, for Toronto as well. Uh, but I got to give the edge in the kicking game to the Argos because how many games this year have we seen Boris Beattie uh, put up, you know, five for five on field goals or the likes of that. Uh, he's been uh, one of, if not the most consistent kicker in the CFL this year, I feel like uh, I, there's been question marks around Hamilton, you know, Taylor Bertolet was doing the kicking most of the year. Now Michael Domagala has taken over for the playoffs uh i'm gonna give the edge here to toronto because i think this game could be important kicking wise uh and i'm gonna give the argos the the edge on special teams yeah i agree with you 100 percent on that one i i for the argument that you just made um i'm gonna call it even just because you said well not you said but i agree with what sorry I'll rephrase that. I agree with what you said 
uh, return the favors Hamilton, taking the favors uh, Toronto. To me, this game might be interesting if we think it's as close as it's going to be. Who do you think has the advantage punting? Because I think there's something to be said about average field position starting point. Especially if this turns out to be a defensive struggle. I'm pretty sure that I would favor the Toronto punting over Hamilton at this point. I'm not sure where you sit on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty even on that one. You know, you know, for all intents and purposes, I just call the special teams even. Um, if you want to split hairs and roll Toronto or Hamilton, it's not really that big a difference either way. Uh, this this will be a good game. This this will be a good game. So now we get into our uh, our picks for this game. Uh, I'll go first on this one. I'll let you go first on the second one. Um, you know, two of the three categories I gave in Hamilton's favor, but there's one category we haven't talked about much here that I think really favors Toronto is uh, we talk so often about the attendance issues in Toronto, but the people that show up there are allowed and make a difference. And there's a reason the Argos were six and one at home this year. They found a way to get things done. They are going to get some pieces back after having a week off. I know Eric Rogers, I think is going to be ready to go after missing a good chunk of the season, and that should help. Uh, they had some banged-up running backs that should hopefully be back in and ready to go here. This is going to be close. We saw two one-point games between these two teams this year already. I think we see another one that comes down to a, a close-scoring game of maybe a field goal here. I am going to stick with my pre-playoff prediction and go with the Argos taking this one at home. Yeah, I... This is, I think, the pit where we're going to disagree when I think there's just too much riding on Hamilton here. It's going to be a close one. I think Hamilton by less than a touchdown on the road. All right, and we move on to the West Division final here. Uh, Winnipeg, 11-3 in the regular season, uh, taking on the Riders, 9-5. The Bombers are at home where they went a perfect 7-0 this year. Uh, the Riders four and three on the road in the regular season. Matchups between these two teams, uh, the Labor Day and Banjo Bowl games. Uh, the Bombers took the one in Saskatchewan, 23-8. Then uh, next week in Winnipeg, 33-9. So outscoring the Riders, uh, quick math, 56-17 in those two games. Uh, we'll get into, we'll dive right into the positional uh, breakdown here shortly. But your quick two-minute opening thoughts on this matchup. Well, I'll just leave you with this one thought. If it is Bob Irving's last game, I don't know if he did be calling the great tap. It doesn't sound like it, which uh, makes me really sad if, if the Bombers get there. Um, can you think of a much better way to call your last CFL game? No, yeah, no, this should be a fantastic game. Uh, these two teams, they will also be honoring him, inducting him into the ring of honor at this, uh, this game in Winnipeg, which is... Uh, rightfully so and i'm so happy to see that this should be a this should be a good game it's always fun when these two teams play we had a we had a thriller in the playoffs last year that 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 fateful game that uh, we all know how it ended and we'll continue to remind rider fans of how it ended uh good old crossbar there 
the Riders coming off the big win against uh, against Calgary here. I, I'll say my opening thoughts on this game uh, is all the pressure is on Winnipeg in this one, right? Does Saskatchewan have any pressure on them in this game? Aside uh, from their own fans, I don't think so. You even even some of their own fans, I thought too, don't think it's going to go well. Whereas Winnipeg, you have the 11 and three regular season, uh, fantastic year, seven and zero at home, has dominated all season long. Uh, far and away, looked like the best team in the league. You're the defending champ, so looking to repeat. Like, there's a lot of pressure on the Bombers to win here, and I think that may, you know, this may be a feather in Saskatchewan's cap of they're coming in with no pressure on them at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? And, and the only thing I will say to that very quickly is this is a bomber team that's been around. They know what's at state. You listen to them talk during the bye week, they are as ready for this as I think they will ever be. Um, I am fully confident that this is a bomber team that knows how to handle this type of situation. And, and for what it's worth, the pressure is only... Pressure is a privilege. If there's no pressure on you in a conference or division final game to go to the biggest game in in, in your football league, sorry, but I think you're in the wrong profession. Um, it's just how I see it. Let's get into the positional matchups. Start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, what do you see here from these two teams? Well, to me, uh, I hate to sound like a homer, uh, but I, I'm a, I'm gonna go with Winnipeg. I don't think the offensive uh, difference is 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 close. I I, I like Winnipeg just way too many weapons. Uh, Winnipeg can run the ball, whether it's Andrew Harris, Brady Alvera, Johnny Augustine, or even Shot Cooper. I think if you go further down the list. Uh, you run, you run into some trouble if you're scheduled, if you have to go that deep. Um, I think Winnipeg is built for the cold weather offense. Winnipeg is built for the ball control offense, which we've seen. Um, I, I also think Winnipeg has the better quarterback. I am not sold on Cody Fajardo. Uh, if you watch the tape, and this was that comment that I was going to make earlier, uh, he seems so fixated so early in the play which side of the field he's going to throw to. He looks, and it's like he's got a die the minute he snaps the ball, and he doesn't take the die off the die. Against Winnipeg, if they know you're throwing in a certain direction, they will pick you apart and make you throw some interceptions, which is going to be catastrophic. That being said, Cody Fajardo has one advantage that I think Zach Kalaus doesn't have. And we saw it in the Calgary game in spades. Cody can run the ball and get first downs. Zach can too, but I don't think that's part of his built-in DNA, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, offensive side of the ball. I mean, if you look at it on paper, I think it's actually pretty close. Like William Powell, I would say, is a better running back than Brady Oliveira. Uh, assuming, you know, if Andrew Harris is playing, Andrew Harris is my one of the top running backs in the league, of course. I think the quarterbacks are actually, you know, they, they're, they're pretty good comparisons there. Uh, receivers, great talent on both sides of the ball here. The reason I'll give the offensive edge to Winnipeg is honestly the offensive line, right? Like Saskatchewan, much has been made of how inexperienced that O-line is. Look at the one in Winnipeg. I mean, the Bombers don't give up sacks. They don't turn the ball over. When you look at a ball control team making a difference in the playoffs, that's where I give the edge to Winnipeg offensively. I think Saskatchewan's got some big, great playmakers that make it close if they use them effectively, like William Powell, like Duke Williams, et cetera. And if they could ever get Shaq Evans going again. But uh, I, I do give the Bombers a bit of an edge there. I think they've been so efficient all season long uh, and they've got great uh, playmakers. You know, Kenny Lawler, the only 1,000-yard receiver in the CFL. Nick Dembski's had himself a fantastic year. And as you mentioned, a slew of running backs that can be called on if needed. So I will give a bit of an edge here. To, I'll give an edge on the field to Winnipeg, but I think it's close on paper. I, I, I can subscribe to that. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, this might be a pretty quick discussion. Um, so riders have the edge defensively, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Mike. And this is a quick one. I think safe to say we're both giving the edge to the bombers, right? I, and the riders did make some good defensive plays last week, but by, by far and away, this is the best team defensively, one of the best in the history of the league, and you got to lean Bombers here. Or do you see this differently? Yeah, you know what? I see it as starters even-ish advantage Winnipeg. It's when you get further down the depth chart where I think Winnipeg separates themselves. Overall, I like Winnipeg defensively. Um, it, it, there's just not much to it. You're the number one defense in the league for a reason. Uh, you got better. You got Winston Rose, who I don't think we've seen the best of quite just yet. Um, it, it, it's it, it's almost setting up like this game is going to be too easy, even though I know it won't be, just because it's Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. But advantage Winnipeg on, on, the, uh, on the defensive side. And then we get into special teams. Uh, which side do you favor here? I call it even. I think Brett Lauder and Sergio Castilla are kind of the same kicker. I think in that Calgary game, I think we purposely saw Winnipeg try to kick some 40-plus field goals uh, just to put some ease into Sergio Castilla and the fan base. Uh, I think both teams are capable of busting a big return if needed. Um, Saskatchewan did last week. Winnipeg has the capability with Janarian Grant to flip the field. Uh, the punting, I would, I would edge to Winnipeg. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to split hairs on this one. I think the special teams is even. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go actually decently in favor of the Riders here. Yes, Winnipeg has shored up the kicking game a little with Sergio Castillo, but Brett Otter is one of the better, if not the best, kicker in the league this season, uh, consistency-wise, and made some key kicks to to get them the win last week. 
Uh, I think in the return game, yes, Janarian, Grant, Jamal Morrow, I'd consider them, you know, somewhat even uh, talent-wise there. But I think the Bombers cover team hasn't been the best at times this year. I think there's room for Jamal Morrow to have a big day here. And I'll say this, you know, if the Riders want to come out and win this game, I think it's going to depend. They're going to need some big play from the special teams. If they can get, uh, you know, some of the returns they got from Morrow last week and a consistent kicking game from uh, Brett Water. I think that is uh, is going to be huge for the Riders' chances to win this game. So I will give Saskatchewan the edge on special teams. Uh, if there's been any spot this season that's been uh, the kind of, you know, the tri- trouble spot for the Bombers, it is the special team side of the ball. Yeah, I, I would agree with that to a standpoint. I mean, I agree. I, I hadn't really thought about the kit coverage at all. Um you know that that is one of my worries, uh, but I think all in all, uh, should be a great game. It should be a great game. I went first on my pick for the last one, so you're up first this time. Uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan. Who's going to the Grey Cup from the West? Saskatchewan. I I just sense a huge letdown coming. I have not. Anybody in my family, I have not had a good feeling about this matchup right from Majetro when it was announced. Uh, I think Saskatchewan did to keep it close to the fourth quarter. I think they're going to get that big special teams return, and I think the Riders pull one out by less than a touchdown and upset the Bombers here. Yeah, immediately after watching this game, Mike texts me, Riders by six. Uh, and I think I laughed in his face uh, when he when he said that. Um, I, I do hope Saskatchewan makes this a close game. Not close enough that, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack at IG Field. Uh, this better not come down to a last-second field goal. Um, I'm giving this one to the Bombers and decently well here. I, I think Saskatchewan is going to have to play a perfect game here. Uh, on all three sides of the ball to pick up the win in this one. And uh, last week we saw, you know, uh, just as many errors as Calgary had that uh, Saskatchewan jumped on, the Riders made their fair share there as well. Cody Fajardo cannot throw that number of interceptions against the Bombers uh, because they will make you pay for it. Uh, I think I have the Bombers winning by like 10 in this one. I think this is I would put this in line almost with what we saw from the East semifinal between Hamilton and Montreal, that kind of game uh, here uh, this week between these two teams. So I will take the Bombers going off to the Grey Cup in this game, uh, but it should be a great matchup. It's always fun when these two teams play each other, uh, especially in the playoffs. It's the unexpected, Ryan. That is fair. There's always some surprises. We'll see if either of the games this week uh, come with a surprise result for either of us, one of us will be wrong. Uh, Or actually, I guess we picked opposite on both of these games, right? So, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Before we wrap up this episode of the podcast, Mike, anything you want to plug, where can people find everything you've got going on and uh, everything you're up to these days? Before I do that, I am excited to announce, but I will be at IG Field on Sunday afternoon. Woohoo! First time this year for me. Uh, I caved. We're braving the cold weather. We're doing it. Uh, schedule allows it, thanks to some uh, substitutes that were willing to uh, fill in for me. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great day, and I can't wait. 
Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. You can find my stuff mostly at GameTimeTV.ca. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MyDaryl. And uh, enjoy the game, everybody. Awesome, awesome. I will be at IG Field as well. Uh, maybe we'll run into each other there, hopefully. Uh, it should be a great game. Looking forward to that. A packed house. I think last I saw over 29,000 tickets sold already, which is great to see. Uh, for myself, you can find me on Twitter at CooperTrooper42. That starts with a K, in case you're confused. Um, and if you're interested more in the CFL fantasy side of things, we don't touch on it a lot here on the podcast, but I do cover it each and every week over on YouTube at the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix, uh, going through all the positional previews, depth chart updates, uh, when I can get them out as well to get you all set for walking in your fantasy lineups and, uh, that continues throughout the playoffs. And then I've got some fun things planned for the off season to get us all ready for another season of fantasy football again next year. So uh, stay tuned uh, and subscribe there. Uh, the Canadian football fantasy fix on YouTube. Uh, you can find all that info on Twitter there uh, on my Twitter account as well uh, for our podcast, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on uh, do all of the things that one can do on there. Like comment, subscribe, follow uh, review rating, probably missing a bunch of them. What everyone has a different one uh, help share the show, help grow the show, get it out there for more people to listen to. We would appreciate that. Of course, we hope you enjoy the show each and every week. Uh, and uh, make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, you can find all those shows at CF Pod Network on Twitter. I guess I should also mention our Twitter handle uh, at CFC on Mike FM is where you can find our podcast on Twitter, and you can also find it on Facebook as well. The Canadian Football Countdown there. As always, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Enjoy the division finals, and we'll talk to you next week when we preview the 2021 Grey Cup here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.